taken a pretty close look at those two passages that Chris read for us. I do that every time. <laughs> that, uh, that song was about being in a season of prayer for God to remove you from trial and uh, God saying, no, I'm not going to remove this trial from you. I want you to go through this because in the end, it's going to strengthen your faith. And uh, if you've ever been through something like that, that's, that's a hard thing to accept, but it's something that should give hope to those who are going through trial that uh, God has you right where he wants you to be, and he has a reason for that. Um, let's pray before we get going here. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, once again, the opportunity to come before you and to bring you our praise and worship, Lord. Father, we're so thankful for all the good things that you give us, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your son, Father. Um, I ask you'll just give us wisdom this morning as we look into these um, sometimes difficult topics of, of being faithful to you and, uh, and being diligent and um, consistent with our, with our learning and our, and our gaining of knowledge of you, Father. Lord, I ask you'll just, just bless this morning, send down your Holy Spirit, Father, and minister to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray these things in your son's holy and most precious name. Amen. So, through the course of church history, um, the church culture has changed as, as time has gone on. And we see somewhat of a unique church culture in America these days um, compared to the rest of church history. Um, what I'm speaking of is... Uh, I mean, there's, there's many ways that church culture is different nowadays than it was back, back in uh, history. But um, the one that, that puzzles me the most, I guess you could say, is how a lot, for a lot of Christians in America, we are, we've become content with the bare minimum, with doing the bare minimum. You know, we've become uh, a, a country of Sunday morning worship, where uh, you know, we go to church on Sunday morning, and we accept that as that's all the religion I need for the week, so I'm set. Um, but I, I want to, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, for the majority of church history, that wasn't the case. You know, we see, I, I, was, I had the privilege of visiting a church not too long ago, and they, Sunday morning service was the only time the doors were open all week. And that just kind of hit me as, as kind of strange, you know, and... Uh, I feel like this, over time, has become almost ingrained into our culture that if you ask the, the, the typical American Christian, if, if that seems odd to you, they'd say, no, that's just how it's always been. That's how I grew up. That's how it is. Um, and I'm okay with that. You know, but if you look at a lot of church history, it was common, you know, even a, a hundred years ago for churches to have, you know, a full morning service, full evening service, midweek service, prayer meetings, um, you know, when, when Charles Spurgeon, now this was 200-some years ago, was starting out his preaching ministry, he would preach sometimes five, six, seven, even ten times a week. He was traveling to different churches in, the, in, in week evenings and, and preaching a sermon. Um, we see this down in the Dominican Republic. These little tiny churches in these villages, these people get together almost every night of the week to have church. You know, and it, I, I, the more I thought about this, I was able to come to some, some ideas as to why I think this may be. And one of the big ones is we are 
so blessed in this country with so many things. You know, we have prosperity beyond belief. You know, if you look around the rest of the world, and even for us poor folk of, you know, northwestern Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio, we have so many things, do we not? You know, God has blessed us so much, and as, as you know, years ago, people didn't have that. You know, they had to, they, they had to um, you know, it, it was much harder to, to, to save up money, for instance. You had to, you know, pretty much work and, and to, to feed your family day by day, and People of those kinds of cultures, they, they tend to rely on God a lot more. They, they have to rely on him for their food, you know, their, their, uh, their day-to-day things they don't, they don't have, you know. And um, I, I, it seems to me that um, the more difficult a life can be, the stronger one's faith can be. Um, and it, it's hard. It, I mean, we can't, obviously, we're thankful for all the things God blesses us with. But I think we need to, um, you know, look at these other cultures and take a lesson from them. You know, we have our, our technologies are growing, so our prosperity and luxuries are getting more and more. Um, and our, our, our need to rely on God has become less and less. Um, I think that if, if difficult times produce strong faith, it's safe to say that easy times pr- produce weak faith. And I feel like we see that a lot in the church in America today. Um, there's a lot of, of watered-down faith where people uh, are content with giving the absolute bare minimum. And I, I'll admit, this is something that I fall into the trap of, you know, where uh, we, I mean, it's good to rely on grace, obviously, but we, we sometimes push that too far. And um, that's, that's kind of what I, the conviction that came upon me is what spurned me to study some of these scriptures out and I, I just feel the desire to, to warn all of us of, of, this, of this dangerous situation we can find ourselves in. So if you look with me at the text that Chris read um, in, in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to be starting. And the author of the book of Hebrews is dealing with something similar, not exactly the same as what we see in America today. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to explain a rich and deep doctrine to these people, an idea that, uh, that Christ was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I do not have the time to open up that topic today as well, but basically what he's saying is Christ was ordained in a different way than you're used to seeing priests ordained. Priests always came through the bloodline of Aaron for, in, in, the, in, the Israel, in the Jewish culture. And so I'm sure there was a lot of questions coming up to um, the, the Hebrews that had converted to Christianity that how can you say Jesus Christ was a priest when he was not a descendant of Aaron? And that's who, the, the entire book of Hebrews is written to um, you know, Jews who had converted to Christianity. And so he's trying to, he's trying to wrestle with this topic, but he's, he's getting frustrated because um, he's afraid some of them aren't able to grasp this concept. So let's look here at verse 12. Well, actually, we can start in uh, verse 10. He's talking about Jesus when he said, Jesus was called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's saying, you guys are struggling to grasp these things, and and, and we're going to talk about that right now. So he takes a break from his teaching on Christ being a priest from the order of Melchizedek, 
And he goes into talking about spiritual immaturity and warning against that. So he says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you see, that his frustration is that you've been taught all these things. You should have the knowledge. You should have the maturity to understand this concept, but some of you do not. And he uses two illustrations here. The first one is the idea of milk versus solid food. Now, we probably all understand that, and we can, you know, there's enough babies around here that we all can see there's a, you know, milk, a baby drinking milk is a wonderful thing for them. You know, it's nourishing. It's the perfect food for a little infant. Um, they can digest it easily. It tastes good to them. It, it has all the nutrients they need, you know, and, and that it, it, it warms your heart when you see a little baby drinking a bottle full of milk. Now, if you were to have a dinner party and invite some adults over, and you were going to have pork chops and potatoes, and the, the man who you invite over says, actually, I'll just have a glass of warm milk, please, you may be thinking, wow, there's something really wrong with this man. Maybe his digestive system's failing him or something. You know, so it's, 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 it's a completely different picture when you look at it that way. Um, the second illustration he uses is that of a, a classroom where, where the fundamentals of learning are being taught. And I could relate to this one very well because my kids right now are learning their ABCs. And it's the cutest thing in the world when you come back from, from work and you walk in and they're so excited to show you their worksheets and the new letter they learned that day. You know, and they'll come to me, Dad, we learned F this day. F start, says, you know, fish starts with F. Or then they'll come and, you know, we'll be learn, walking through the store and they'll see an A or a B and they're all excited because they see it, you know. And so that, that, that's such a, it brings so much joy to my heart when I come home and see these kids, you know, doing ah, ah, apple, buh, buh, ball, you know, and learning their letters. And it, it, just, it just warms your spirit. But it would be a completely different picture if 10 or 12 years from now I walked in my home and my two children were still struggling with ah, ah, apple, buh, buh, ball. You know, you would think they're 14, 15 years old now. There's something seriously wrong with these children mentally that they can't grasp these basics that they should have known by now. You see what I'm saying? And that's, that's kind of what Paul is trying to, or sorry, the writer to the letter of the Hebrews is trying to open up here. He's saying, if you look at verse 12, he says, For both, by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. He's saying, you've been taught this stuff. You should have a grasp on it and understand it so well that you'd be able to teach this to your fellow Jews. But here we are still struggling with our ABCs. Then look down to uh, chapter 6 here in verse 1. He says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And that word perfection could also be uh, translated as maturity. So he's saying, we, we don't have time to go through all these doctrines again. Um, I've written these things. I've written letters. The, the information's out there. We unfortunately don't have time to cover this, so we're going to have to move on um, towards perfection or maturity. And he says, this we will do if God permits at the end of uh, verse 13 there. Or sorry, I'm on the wrong section. Verse 3. 
So anyway, then in verse 4, if we, let's read through that. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So what he's giving here is he's giving a, a warning here. And this verse, this passage here, um, no doubt has drummed up some confusion in you know, everyone's mind when they read through this. I know it did for me when I read this uh, for, for the first time years ago. Um, and if taken out of context, you know, this, this, and without the proper understanding of the audience and the topic that the writer's trying to cover here, that this passage can seem to say that saints can uh, lose their salvation, that it is possible for someone who's saved to lose their salvation. But that's not the case at all. Um, I don't want to, uh, I can't spend a ton of time on this section, but I'll try to summarize it real briefly as to what he's trying to say here. He's, first off, we have to remember that he's speaking to Jews who had uh, converted to Christianity. Um, and the people he's talking about here are those Jews who had showed interest in Christianity, who maybe had started attending churches, the local churches, um, showed some interest in it. You know, the, the Holy Spirit had started to, started to open their eyes and show them the truths. Um, but what was happening to these Jews that were converting to Christianity in that time is they were coming under heavy persecution by their family, relatives, um, friends, neighbors, that you're forsaking you know, Moses' law, you're, you're, you're forsaking Jehovah's law, and you're following after this false prophet, Jesus, um, and, and you're going to be cast out of, the, out, of, out of the realm of the kingdom, you know. And so some of these people were then falling to the persecution and going back to Judaism. And that's what he's trying to, to warn them about here. He says, um, if, if someone does that, if they, if, they, if they seem to be changed in their heart and then they fall away and they go back to Judaism, it's, it's like they're re-crucifying Christ again. He said it's going to be. He says it's going to be impossible for you at that point to convince them to repent of their ways again and come back. He's not saying at all that it would be impossible for God to work a miracle in these per people's hearts, you know. And, and but short of that, that's the only way they're going to come back. He says, you know, and uh, we we see that we see that a lot today, even you know, not so much in the case of of Jews that are converted to Christianity and then going back to Judaism. But we're seeing lots of people that seem like they're interested in Christianity. They start coming to church for a little while, you know, they, they learn how to talk the talk. Um, but then when persecution comes or trials come, they fall away and they disappear. And that's, that's that. You know, I, I did a very quick Google search on pastors that have left the faith left Christianity, and it is astounding, the stats I found. I mean, pastors of 20 and 30 years who just stand up one day and says, nope, it's, none of it's true. I was, you know, I'm no longer a Christian. I don't believe this stuff. And they fall, fall into the way of the world. You know, now that's, that's an extreme example, a pastor who's been preaching and teaching for a long time um, that falls away. But the, the idea is very similar. He says, there are people you know, and this is something we need to, to, to take soberly, too. There are people who um, look like Christians, act like Christians, sound like Christians. They can even 
preach like Christians, but they're not truly saved. And so that's, that's the type of person that the writer is addressing here. He's not addressing saved, redeemed, you know, saints. He's talking about people who were never saved in the first place, that started to show a little bit of fruit, stow some interest, but then when the waves came, their house crumbled. You know, and, and it's, it's this, we should take a lesson from this in, in general. This is, it's not an immature thing for someone to question their own salvation. In fact, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do every once in a while because it, it reassures you tremendously. You know, I'm sure we've all gone through trials and times and, we're, and you know, or we fall into sin and then the devil comes in your ear. You're not even a Christian. Why would you act that way? Christians don't act that way. And then you start to doubt your own assurance. But the, the first thing you need to do is first look to Christ hanging on the cross. You know, he gave all the promises that are involved in him and that those who he's called, he won't let go. You know, those who come to me, not one will be cast out. You know, we just did a, a whole Sunday school class on, uh, on election and uh, predestination and being chosen versus not chosen. So if you didn't come, I'm sorry, you missed out. But um, what he's saying is, you know, that, that's where your true assurance lies is in Christ hanging on the cross. And then look to your, look to your tree. You know, do you see fruit growing on your tree? You know, that's, that's, that's the sure sign of a believer. So he's not, um, it, it, this, this passage can, can scare people. It can, I know it confused me for a while, but it's not, it's, it's not teaching that it's possible for people to um, fall away from the faith once they've been saved. Um, and then he goes on in, in verse 7, and he gives somewhat of an illustration here on this. Let's read with me. For the, first, for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it's cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end it is to be burned. So the illustration he's giving here sounds very similar to, you know, the parable of the sower and the seed. Um, he's kind of explaining how some people are chosen and some simply aren't. And you will know these people by their fruit. He gives the... He gives the um, example of seemingly two identical plots of land that are seeded the same, the same amount of rain falls on each plot, yet one brings forth good fruit, one brings forth herbs that are good for useful reasons, and then the other one only produces briars and brambles. Um, and that, that plot, it, the only thing that's good for it is for it to be completely burned off and tr started over, basically. Um, we see this in the parable of the sower, how um, the sower throws seed on some ground that's rocky and the seed sends out roots and shoots up really quickly but the, the roots don't have any substance to grab into and when the sun comes it withers them up and they die or the seed that is uh, cast among the thorns and it shoots up as well but then the thorns and the pressures of the world come and choke it out and, and the, seed, the, the plant dies. So he, he's warning He's warning them about this, and he's, he's making it known to them. You know, I'm sure they were struggling with some of this, like, hey, my, my, you know, my, my neighbor, he came, started coming to church, and then he fell away. Like, what happened there? Was, was he saved, and all of a sudden he's no longer saved now? You know, these are the kind of things that these people were no doubt struggling with, and, and the writer was just trying to set this all, set this all straight. But he also gives them um, a little bit of assurance. If we, if we move on to verse 9, he says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, 
things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and the labor of love with which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So you see, he's saying, even though I had to say this, I, we don't believe that this pertains to you. We, we wanted to give this warning not only for you and your church, but, but for the church at large. Um, because I'm sure the writer knew at that time, you know, these letters and these epistles were being passed around from church to church. So, um, uh, you know, this may have just been a way of warning the church at large of these things that go on. But like I said, he does give them a, a commendation um, to assure them. You know, and he says, basically, we've, we've seen your fruit. I've seen your fruit. Therefore, God has seen your fruit. We know, we're not talking about you guys. You know, we, we've seen how you minister to each other, how you love each other, uh, how you help one another. Um, these are all the things that are a sign of a true believer. He says, basically, keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing is exactly what you should be doing. You know, keep up the good work. Keep fighting. Keep bearing fruit. And these are the things that will build their assurance also. But he's like, but I want to warn you. Don't become sluggish. If we move on to verse uh, 10, he says, uh, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love with which you've shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We talked about that. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he's saying, keep bearing fruit. This will build your assurance, but don't become sluggish or lazy is another way that word can be translated. Um, keep persevering uh, through faith and patience um, until the end, basically, until you inherit the promises. So that's the text I want to talk about this morning. Um, and then the question now is, how do we apply this to us here at Crossroads in 2023? Um, and there's, there's a few lines of application we can certainly draw from this. Uh, the first one would be, you know, if you're a regular attender here, then you've actually been given a tremendous blessing in that you, well, God has placed you in a biblical church, a church that every week, you know, the person standing up front gives it their all to present an accurate translation of the Bible to you. Um, biblical teaching and preaching is carried out weekly through through Bible studies and Sunday schools. Um, there's a there's a there's a it's 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 a great environment to to, to flourish here. Um, uh, you know, doctrine is thoroughly explained, um, but and and not all churches are like that. I'm sure you under, you know if you've ever gone and visited other churches. Now, many are. Don't get me wrong. But th we're, we, we're very blessed to be here, you know. And I, I feel like we sometimes take that for granted. I know I certainly do. And um, we need to be careful not to do that. You know, we, we, we go through, through great lengths to make sure a couple things are done here. First off, that God is glorified in everything that goes on here. Um, the second thing is that we always stay emphatically true to the Word of God as best we can, as best as we physically can. Um, and that through the teaching and preaching that goes on here, this is an environment where people can grow and flourish by God's grace. 
you know, we, we, we do the watering as best as we possibly can, and we pray that God will give the increase. And truly, we are, we're all so blessed to be in a church like this. God has placed us among friends like this. Um, but like I said, I, we just need to be careful not to take this for granted. We need to be careful not to lazily slump into the rut of uh, just, an, you know, the bare minimum is good enough. Because um, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, it, you, you lose the desire to progress. You lose the desire to learn more. Um, like I said, we don't want to ever be those Christians that we feel Sunday morning worship is enough enough religion for my week. Because um, see, Sunday morning is is the launching off point of your week. It's the first day. You know, from here, it should it should energize you to to move out into the world and live as Christ and and share the gospel with your friends. You know, um, and to to do your own studying and learning all throughout the week. Uh, it's like a fueling hub where we stop in to fill up our engines and then we go out and and we serve God, you know, um, and live like Christ all all day, all day, every day as much as we can. Um, Basically, we need to be careful not to sit through sermons like I used to sit through algebra class. And I admit, I'm sometimes the first to do this, where as soon as that teacher would start talking, it would be time for me to doze off or zone off or play with my phone, think about what I'm doing this week. You know, and, and then when test time comes, here's Dan, lucky to get a D, you know, and inching through algebra class. So, you know, we need to, we can't, we can't, we can't approach church that way. We need to be, we need to be diligent. We need to be pursuing, you know, holiness and righteousness and godliness. Um, I didn't, I didn't get time to get this one to, to Brady, but let me, listen to, while I read 1 Timothy 6.11. Paul says to Timothy, but you, O man of God... Flee these things and pursue righteousness. He just told Timothy how the root of the money is the root of all evil and, and, and different things like that. He says, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul says, pursue he says, fight. He says, lay hold of, like grab onto. You know, these are all action words, meaning we need to be active in our pursuit of godliness and holiness. But the desire to pursue godliness and holiness doesn't always come naturally to us. If you're like me, when I, I there's sometimes I'm like, man, I just, I, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just don't have the motivation or the desire to do it. And that's, because we're still fallen creatures in in saved bodies, you know we're 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 in the overlapping of the ages. We're part of us, you know, is, is being transformed into Christ's image, but we still have this this dead carapace that we live in, and uh, so we need to um, we need to work at it. That's why Paul says, you know, pursue, fight, lay hold of these things. Um, it, it this this can be hard, especially for those who are young in their faith. And I remember myself um, specifically when I first became a believer. And I wasn't the kid, the pastor's kid that became a believer when I was a little kid. I was 24 years old. And um, I felt like I was on fire. Like, I'm so excited to read my Bible. All of a sudden, these things that I, these stories I'd heard my whole life are starting to come alive to me. And I was, I was ready. I was on my devotions every day, listening to sermons every day. 
just on fire. And then about six months later, that just went out. And I couldn't even get myself out of bed to have devotions. I had no desire to learn. I had no desire to. And this is where my assurance started being doubted like crazy. And at, eventually, I, you know, God led me back to the word. And he led me through these passages. And, and it started, oh, I got to actually work at this. You know, it doesn't always just come naturally. You know, it's like the honeymoon phase. And then that wears off. And then it's like, oh, I got to work at this marriage, you know. But uh, this is also can be hard for those who have allowed their fire, you know, that, that fire to burn low inside of them. Um, you see, in the case of the new believer, <clears throat> imagine you're sitting in a cave, this utter darkness. And that's what your life was like before Christ. You know, there was utter darkness. And then when you finally strike a match, it's like, whoa, this fire can light up this whole cave. You know, this, this seems like a roaring fire, but it's just a little match. You know, and one little wind can blow it right out. You know, and it's, it, we, need to be very, we need to be very very mindful of that. Um, or you could be in the other camp, like I was saying. You may have been a, a believer for a long time, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, as, as, as it seems like time goes on, you know, that, that fire just seems to kind of dwindle and dwindle. And, and you used to have an immense desire to study your Bible even six months ago, and all of a sudden it's like, I just feel sluggish. I feel lazy. I feel like I'm, I'm not, I don't have the motivation anymore. Um, you know, and then, like I said, that, that fire just seems to, to dwindle down to almost a, a little ember that you're just trying to, to keep warm. You know, and, and if you find yourself in either one of these situations, we need to be very careful. Because when, when we allow these fires to burn low and lower and lower, um, that's when the devil likes to swoop in. You know, and he, 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 he's waiting for that time. Because, you know, we're living in a war zone. Imagine, like I said, you're in that cave and this fire is the only thing that's uh, producing heat and light, and, and the devil and his demons are lurking just on the outside of that, that light ring. They're not allowed to come in, you know, but as you allow that light to grow dimmer and dimmer, they slowly inch closer and closer and closer until they can finally get an earshot and, and whisper into your ear all kinds of nonsense. So we need to be constantly fueling this fire. Um, and if, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know what it's like when that fire grows dim. You know that feeling um, where you may feel distance from God. You know, um, the, the, more often than not, the first thing we notice is the rotten fruit that starts showing up on our tree. You know, te uh, temptation gets stronger. We, we find that uh, we, we have trouble, you know, with our, with our tempers getting shorter. We have, we have trouble. Our, our language may turn ugly all of a sudden when we used to not be like that. Um, our patience seems to dwindle, and we get, we're really short-tempered. Um, even our, our abilities to, to love our enemies just com completely goes out the window. And uh, when, when, we when, we when we begin to feel that happening, that's when we really need to start dumping fuel on this fire. But you may say, Dan, how do we do that? How do we dump fuel on a fire that we can't even see or physically go do? Because if I could go cut wood and dump it on a fire and make me feel better, I certainly would do that. You know, but, but it, it's a little different than that. Um, God has given us many means, though, to do this. Two of the main ingredients, though, um, are prayer. And the second is the Word of God. So the first thing we need to do is we need to run back into Christ's arms. You know, get back to your Bible. Study. Listen. Read. And then pray for forgiveness, you know, if need be. Pray for strength. Pray for help in this. Pray for the desire to, to come back to you. 
um, use whatever means necessary to, to reinvigorate your, your desires and your passions that you once had. Um, and, and you'll feel, you know, that, that drawback to begin to, 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 for spiritual growth to begin again. Um, if, we, if we plead out to God, he will answer our prayers. He, he, he's promised that, you know. It may not be, like I said before, it may not be in the way we like it to happen, but he will. He, he will work, work these things out for you. Um, so the, the, the next line of application I'd like to draw from here um, is that we were all, as part of this body, we've all been given gifts by God, some spiritual and some physical. Um, and when we choose to withhold these gifts from the body of believers we've been called to be a part of, um, we're actually robbing these people of the blessing of our gift. You're robbing your family members of the blessing of your input, of your, um, your help, basically. But also, you're not living up to the full potential that God wants you to live up to. You know, he's called you to do something. He's called you to help. Um, so let's not let him down. Um, this, this becomes really clear in the Ephesians passage that uh, Chris read for us. Let's turn there with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 11 through 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you see, the focus of this passage here is um, on the local church as a single body of believers, and that this body of believers is supposed to work together in unity and love. And God himself supplied this body of believers with teachers and preachers to help them to grow and to mature in their faith and to equip them for uh, what the final goal, uh, which is look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, that could also be translated mature, man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you see, the idea that God gave us these teachers and preachers to equip us to grow and to mature, that one day we will, we will grow into um, becoming more Christ-like. That's the end goal. That's what each of us should have in our, in our foresights is to become more Christ-like throughout, throughout our days. Um, and we, we, we're to continue to strive for this um, daily until the day we die. We never grow out of this. You know, like Paul said, pursue Fight, grab onto these things. Then in verse 14, he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So he goes on to tell us we need to strive towards maturation uh, for more, more reasons than, than one. And he, he, it's similar passage, similar language that we see in the Hebrew passage of you know, you need to grow out of this childhood phase. Um, don't be spiritual children anymore. Um, here, you know, Paul's focus here is more on um, false doctrine and false teachers. And uh, the words he uses are the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And that instantly brought to mind a lot of the, the false doctrines and teachings that are going around today in, you know, the, the, the American churches. Um, you know, like the Word of Faith movement, 
or uh, manifestations where you can speak things into being. Uh, huge auditoriums full of people watching some pastor miraculously heal people, you know. Um, even the, the charismatic um, seminaries teaching their pastors how to speak in tongues and interpret tongues. You know, these are the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting and the trickery of men that are bringing apart false beliefs into these people, you know, and we need to be very careful about that. I mean, there's so many false teachings out there, um, but the idea is kind of the same. Um, we need to just be prepared for this. We need to be on guard for this, and this is why it's so important to be growing and not become stagnant. Um, it, it, it's already happening. You know, it, it's very easy for false doctrine to creep in um, through a lot of the, the Internet stuff, you know, podcasts and, and people, you know, anyone can put out a YouTube video, you know, but we need to be uh, able to discern, you know, what's, what's biblical and what's not. Um, and I do want to commend the people of this church for this because you guys actually do a stellar job. Um, in the short amount of time that I've been in leadership here, there's been quite a few times where false doctrine has tried to come in, false teachings, and someone was able to say, ah, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound biblical to me, you know, and right there, then they go home and study it and figure it out and say, no, that's wrong, you know, just that ability alone is huge, you know, Paul talks about children because children, they'll believe anything you say, you know, it snowed this week, I could have told my daughter, yeah, God's up there with a cheese grater, great in snow, and it's fallen down, she would have been like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's, that's kind of the mindset that we need to kind of grow out of. And uh, like I said, I definitely want to commend the people here because um, uh, it's, it, it's happened. You know, you, you guys are, are standing strong, and that's very, that's very commendable. Um, but we, we need to keep up the good work. You know, don't become, don't become lethargic in that. Always stay vigilant. Um, and the, the only way that we can possibly do that is to stick to these truths. You know, maintain a vivid prayer life. Um, stay near to God. Um, stay, you know, keep being avid Bible students. Never, never stop learning. Um, you never get to the point where you need to stop learning, you know. Constantly be dumping fuel on your fire and keeping it burning bright. Uh, and then let's look at verse 15 here. He brings it back around full circle once again. He says, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And that's the end goal. You know, we see that in the Hebrews passage. We see that here, that we need to be striving to be Christ-like. We need to be striving and never stop. Um, that's where we're heading. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be going. Um, and never stop, never slow down, you know. Um, in verse 16 here, he says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So here he kind of turns the focus from the individual to the body as a whole, and how each member of that body plays a very crucial role in serving the entire body. And if one person um, doesn't, doesn't contribute the body the whole body struggles you know so we, we've all been given specific gifts you know some people are good with are, are good at uh, fixing things you know or cooking and good with children you know there's there's tons of ways that we can serve the body um, but like I said before we need to be careful not to um, 
basically rob each other of our gifts. You know, and uh, we never know what God's going to call us to be. You know, some of you men may be called to be teachers in the future. You know, did you ever consider that? Like, if you would have asked me five years ago, Dan, do you think you'll ever stand up and teach or preach? I would have said, no way. I'm a fixer. I fix things. That's what I do. You know, I used to always say, you got a screwdriver in your box and a hammer. The hammer doesn't do the screwdriver job. The screwdriver doesn't do the hammer job, you know. And God would have probably been sitting up, up, there, up there just, Dan, Dan, Dan. You have no idea what I've got planned for you, you know. And so I would, my wife and I were sitting talking last night, and we, we tried to come up with a number. You know how many children are in this church under the age of five? We rough counted between 25 and 30. Under the age of five, okay? In a few years, we're going to need an entire battalion of Sunday school teachers, okay? Youth group leaders, you know, and that starts now. You know, this is, this is why we need to start staying faithful, you know, and, teach, and learning and learning and learning and growing and growing and growing because you never know when God's going to call you, okay, it's your time to teach, you know, time to stand up and take that banner and run with it. So we need to... Um, just, just always remember that. You never know what God's going to call you to do. You know, so in, in closing, I want to I pose a serious question to us all. And this is a question that I've been asking myself, too. Um, and, and we need to be brutally honest with answering. You know, the only person you're answering to is yourself and God. And it's a very simple question. And the question is this. How are you doing spiritually? You know, over the last six months... Over the last year even, how is your spiritual life going? Have you been flourishing? Is your, 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 your walk just invigorated by your devotion time? Um, are you walking with the Lord nearer now than you ever have in your entire life? Um, have you been studying some new doctrine and looking into it and it's just come alive in a way that you've never experienced before and you feel God's presence with you and, and you're growing and in faith, and, and you feel closer to God than you ever have, and, and understand his love, and you're just growing and flourishing. Or perhaps as, as you look back over the last year, you could truthfully say, I, I really don't feel any different than I did a year ago. Truth be told, if, it, it may even seem that my fire has grown a little dimmer than it was before. You know, my, my devotion time is sparse. Uh, my, my prayer life is barely alive at best. Uh, it consists of, you know, on my, way to, on my way to work a couple days a week, I pray for God to give me some favors. And when I'm sick, I pray for healing. But other than that, I just, I, a, a vibrant daily communion with God, that's just not where I'm at. You know, or, or worse yet, have you backslidden this year? You know, have you, have, you, have you fallen into some sort of sin and you feel like your fire that once was burning bright has just dwindled down so low that you almost have to, Put your hand right over top of the embers just to feel the slightest little bit of heat. You know, you felt very distant from God. You feel like you've been losing battles to temptation that you never used to lose before. You know, and, and friends, if that's, if that's where you are and that's where you find yourself, it's time to wake up. It's time to get back to the things that you know. It's time to start blowing air onto those coals. Start dumping nice dry wood onto those coals. And pray for God to breathe fresh life into your life. Tell him to pray that he will, he will bring you back. 
renew that desire inside your heart, you know, that, that, your, that your, your dwindling embers would just burst back into flame. Um, do not let that fire go out. You know, feed that fire with the word. Feed it with prayer. Feed it with all the promises that God has blessed us with. Feed it with sermons and teachings. You know, use whatever means necessary. And then cry out to God in prayer. You know, as David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. You see, that's what we need to do. Friends, never stop running. Never stop striving and pursuing and laying hold of these truths. Um, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. If you're still breathing, then you still should be fighting and running and learning and striving for maturity. So never stop feeding that fire. Never give up. Never stop growing in grace. And by God's grace, he will be faithful in giving the increase to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Lord, we come before you just once again, uh, if maybe convicted of, of, of the way we've, we've fallen away, Father. Um, I just ask you'll reinvigorate the lives of every single person here, Lord. Um, motivate us to, to, to go on to perfection and, and, and maturity, Lord. Continue to give grace and wisdom and knowledge as we study our Bible. Um, give us the strength to, to stay consistent in our prayer lives, Lord, and to... Um, just give us a desire to know more and more about you and to fall deeper in love with you every day, Father. Lord, we love you. We just long to serve you, Father. And just please help us all um, in the days to come that we will, we will never lose hope and that we will persevere and never stop fighting, Lord. Father, we love you. We pray these things in your son's holy and most precious name. Amen.